Jasmine and Beauty Podcast starts right now. It's the Asmund and Budic Show, live from the VIC Radio Studios here on the campus of Ithaca College. Dan Budic, he's Dan Budic, I should say. I'm Jake Asmund. So much to get to. NFL Week 1 underway. we got a game going on right now at the half between the Patriots and the Cardinals. It's actually our first show back on VIC since about December. We were able to continue the Asmund and Budic Show as a podcast while we were studying in Los Angeles last semester. So, really, Dan, first time back on VIC in quite a while. and Since last December, it's been too long. And the Jets. You know, they still found a way to have a heartbreaking loss. I feel like every time we come on VIC, we're talking about a Jets heartbreaking loss. And and no different today, a a 23-22 loss to the Bengals, a game the Jets had in their back pocket. They couldn't do it. Same old story. Same old story. Plenty more on the Jets. We'll also get into the Giants as well. They had a big win over Dallas earlier today. And pennant race baseball. It's hard to believe we're talking about the Yankees and the Mets, both involved in really a pennant race. The Mets, well, they've got... Hot at the right time, and the Yankees are really hot at the right time, considering they traded away pretty much anyone of significant value at the trade deadline. So that's on the docket tonight. We have a lot to get to. Jets, Giants, some baseball talk, and of course, your phone calls. You can give us a call all night at 607-274-1842. We're on until midnight, and we're going to get right into it, Dan, because as you just said, it feels like we do this a lot when we do this show, but the Jets today, they lose to the Bengals, as you just said, 23-22. An egregious loss to open up their season. Egregious. And it didn't help that so many different times in this game, it just felt like they had control of the game, but the score never indicated that. Uh, you go to the half, they're only up three. It's 16-13 at the half, and I said to you while we were watching this game together, you know, the Jets really dominated that first half, and they only lead by three. That scared me. But this game really comes down to a handful of plays, as most games in the NFL really come down to. But it starts with your kicker. Nick Falk, who's never missed an extra point as a Jet, missed an extra point today. He also missed a 26-yard field goal. So those are four points right there that the Jets could have had, should have had, 10 out of 10 times you need to have. They didn't get it. So once again, the final score was 23-22. And then the talk this week is going to be about Darrell Rivas because he was torched today. And I'm a huge Jet fan. You're a huge Jet fan. Darrell Rivas is one of my favorite football players I've ever watched. He was torched today. And the Jets defensively did not game plan to adjust to the fact that he could not stay with A.J. Green. And it was pathetic watching that. And that was was the most concerning thing to me. Because going into the game, what was the talk coming out of Florham Park? The Jets were not going to leave Darrell Rivas on an island alone with A.J. Green. They were not going to do that. Darrell Rivas went on, I believe it was the Michael K show, and, and said he was okay with the fact that that the Jets weren't going to uh, were not going to keep him on an island alone with AJ Green. They felt better running different schemes defensively, different ways to align against him. And what happened? They went out there today, and you said it, Jake. They left Darrell Revis out there to burn against AJ Green. And, and I, you know what you said? I love Darrell Revis. I'm a huge Darrell Revis guy. He's our guy. Darrell Revis is one of the best defensive players I ever watched play in the league. But the guy's 31 years old, and he cannot keep up with AJ Green anymore. He's, he cannot keep up with a top-flight receiver like that. And time after time again, A.J. Green had big catch, first down after first down. The touchdown, I believe it was 54 yards over the top, over the top of Darrell Revis for the touchdown. Where were the adjustments? Where were those in-game adjustments that the Jets needed to do defensively to guard against A.J. Green? They didn't do it. They didn't make any of those changes, and it cost the Jets a game on the defensive side of the ball because you sacked the quarterback seven times. Jake, you said before the game, teams last year that had five or more sacks won seven or more, seven sacks. Or more sacks. Excuse me, went ten and zero. The Jets had seven sacks today and lost. That's how bad the secondary was for the New York Jets today. And unfortunately, it starts with Darrell Revis. 
and A.J. Green 180 yards receiving. Where were the adjustments, Todd Bowles? Where were the adjustments on the secondary? The loss today falls on a handful of people. We talked about Nick Falk. We talked about Revis. But you got to blame the coaching staff, too. I mean, the Jets could not afford to lose this game. You look at what's coming up in the upcoming schedule. They have Buffalo on Thursday, a game that now becomes all of a sudden a must-win game. They, they have to win. With the way the schedule is set up, where you got to go to Kansas City after Buffalo, then you got to play the Seahawks, you got to play the Steelers, and you got to play the Cardinals. That's your first six games. You can't afford to lose games to a team that you really should should have beat today. The Jets dominated this football game for for many different aspects of the game. They were better, they were the better team out there, but we kept saying it. It just never felt like they were in complete control of this game, even when it looked like they were about to go on this run. Offensively, they had that great drive that ended with a touchdown to Anunwa early on in that first quarter, and we thought, hey, the Jets are picking right off where they left off in December. They're ready to go, and it just stalled. Fitzpatrick today, not good enough. 19-35, only 189 yards, two touchdowns, and the pick at the end was killer. And you look at this team offensively, they're not built to take shots downfield, and all of a sudden the drive just stalls, and they're running the football effectively, and then they got to the red zone and did nothing. And it was really well, that disappointing. Was the thing. And you know what? It was kind of like in between the 20s, they were fine. From the 20 to the 20, it was fine. It was when the Jets got inside the 20... Of um, of the Bengals, they just couldn't punch it in. Two of five in the red zone. You just got to be more effective in the red zone than that. And when you got a guy like Brandon Marshall, Brandon Marshall, only three catches today. Obviously, he had that humongous drop on the last drive. If he catches that, they might win the game. Well, you're right. If he catches it, they very well might win the game because that's the first play of the drive. They're set up now at midfield, and they probably would have been able to get uh, they probably would have had momentum. They had momentum on their side if he makes that catch. They probably would have been able to get into field goal range. But who knows with the, the day Nick Folk was ha- having if he would have made that kick. But it would have given him a chance. But the bottom line was when the Jets got into the red zone, I didn't like the offensive play calling. I didn't like the fact that they didn't go to their bread and butter target last year in the red zone. Last year, they were so effective in the red zone. Why? Because they had Brandon Marshall to throw the ball to in the red zone. A jump ball type of receiver. Five trips in the red zone. They were 2 of 5 in the red zone. Where were the jump balls to Brandon Marshall? Where was trying to expose the matchup with Brandon Marshall on the outside? The Jets didn't do it today. And really disappointing because you mentioned it. It felt like the Jets were going to win this game. It really felt like, even though it was only 16-13 at halftime, it felt like this was going to be a game the Jets were going to find a way to win and they just didn't do it. The defensive line played way too well to lose this game. To get seven sacks in a game and lose is hard to it do. It didn't happen at all last year. They don't even have Sheldon Richardson back until this Thursday, and that's how dominant they were up front. And the fact that Todd Bowles, who's supposed to be a defensive coach, cannot make an adjustment on A.J. Green, give Revis help, find a different matchup to stop letting this guy just torch you, that was horrible. 12 catches, 180 yards, as we were just talking about with A.J. Green. But the Jets, they did not have that killer instinct today. Third and 18. We're having heaves down the field to open receivers to keep Bengals' drives alive. It was frustrating from the start. This team had an opportunity to really squash the Bengals early on. They should have been up 14-0. Instead, had to settle for that Nick Falk field goal. Turns out they missed it. All of a sudden, instead of 14-0, Cincinnati goes right down the field, and all of a sudden it's 7-3. No, it changes the whole game early on. And early in the game, the Jets did have opportunities, like you just said, to put them away and try to you know get a lead where you put the Bengals in a position where they become one-dimensional. And the Jets had the opportunity opportunity to do that they couldn't and they kept the Bengals around and the bottom line was on defense that secondary 
was just really exposed, and, and you hate to say it, you hate to see it, but Darrell Revis just should not be guarding A.J. Green one-on-one, and he was. Darrell Revis is still a very good corner, but he's no longer the guy at age 31 where you could just say, he's on this receiver, that's the end of that receiver. Those days are over, and that's okay. You could still win with Darrell Revis being he's what he is. He's still a player. But you have to make adjustments, and that to me was more frustrating than Nick Folk missing the extra point. I'm not going to get on Nick Folk. He had a bad game. Nick Folk's been a really good kicker since he's been with the Jets since 2010. The problem today was the lack of adjustments. And then, when you look at this Jets team, you hit on it before. Brandon Marshall's a guy that can't be held to three catches. He was invisible out there. Eric Decker, we were screaming for him. He had that touchdown, and then we never, he really, we never really heard from him. And then Anunwa in the first half looked so good. I loved what they were doing with Quincy Anunwa in the first half. Third quarter, fourth quarter, where's Quincy Anunwa? They also wasted Matt Forte at 155 total yards, 96 rushing yards, 59 receiving. He looks really good. That's what they were bringing in, a guy that could give them a multi-purpose option out of the backfield, something they didn't have last year with Chris Ivory. Even Bilal Powell, when he was in there, he looked like the same guy that played really well for this team down the stretch last year. It was frustrating because this is the game you had to win. If you want to start off 3-3 and when you look at the first six games to give yourself a chance to contend for a playoff spot, well, now you're 0-1, and all of a sudden, with the Bills losing today and the Jets losing today. You look at next Thursday night's game in Buffalo. That is a huge game for the Jets. There's no such thing as a must win in Week 2, but boy, that is a pretty damn important game in Week 2 coming up this Thursday. It's absolutely a must win. When you you know, you know read their schedule at the top of the show, when you look at the Jets' schedule going forward, you got Pittsburgh, you have uh, Seattle, you have Kansas City. Those are tough teams to beat. When you got them all in a, in a six-week span, you could be looking in the first six weeks of the season, Jake, and your season's over. You're two and four. You you're one and five. Your season's over. The Jets' season could be made or break, or be, could be made or broken in these first six weeks of the season. This was a game we said going in they needed. They needed to find a way to win today because of the fact with their schedule coming up moving forward and the fact, you know, Cincinnati's a good team. They're not a bad. They're they're a solid team, but quite frankly, I think the Jets are a better team. I think when you look up and down the, on the roster, I think the Jets are a better football team than, than the Bengals, and they just left too many plays out there. Let's talk about how complete of a roster the Jets are. The problem today was their veteran players did not make plays. We talked about Revis. We talked about Brandon Marshall. Listen, Ryan Fitzpatrick has got to take some blame here, too. And I know we're up against the break, and we'll come back, and we'll further break this down and, and t- take your calls as well. But Fitzpatrick today, 19-35, 189 yards, two touchdowns in that pick. I read his stats earlier. It's not good enough. Too many times he was a little bit inaccurate with the football, and it just felt like because Brandon Marshall wasn't a factor, Fitzpatrick wasn't a factor, and that's my biggest fear as a Jet fan. Fitzpatrick, he doesn't have to be Peyton Manning out there in his prime, but he has to be serviceable, and too many times in this game, you didn't know where the football was going. The Jets had issues just checking it down and not getting the big play down the field. They didn't take advantage of the playmakers they have on this roster. They got very conservative at the end there, had to kick field goals, and it's what we said at the top when it happened. Nick Folk, we knew it would come back to hurt him. You missed an extra point, you miss a short field goal. Nine out of ten times, that comes back to hurt you, and that's exactly what happened with the Jets today. So the Jets are 23-22 losers to the Bengals. The Giants got a 20-19 win. We're going to get more into it. We got your calls. Remember, 607-274-1842. We'll be right back. Unflippable, unflappable, unleakable. The Gusbuster is the only umbrella that won't flip inside out, rip, tear, or leak. Capable of withstanding winds over 55 miles per hour. All of our umbrellas are constructed of the finest quality materials and backed by a limited lifetime guarantee. What are you waiting for? 
Visit GusBuster.com and get your GusBuster today. The Asman and Budic Show is presented by Wings Over Ithaca and GusBuster Umbrellas. Back here on the Asman and Budic Show right here on VICRadio.org and available on TuneIn Radio, Jake Asman alongside Dan Budic. You can get us on Twitter at Asman Budic Show. My personal handle at Jake Asman. Dan, your handle at Dan Budic. We said we were going to talk some baseball, and i got to be honest with you, Dan. If you would have told me you know, about three weeks ago as we were starting to think about ideas for the show, we started preparing, that we were going to be having meaningful discussions about the Yankees and the Mets and their chase for the postseason, I would maybe believe the Mets just because they're a really good team. They were in the World Series last year. But the fact that the Yankees sit right now only two games out of the wild card, four out of the division, they're just coming off a seven-game winning streak until they lost today, really is remarkable. And the Mets... They have just been so red hot, despite the fact that every other day it seems like somebody else gets hurt. It really is amazing where we are with both teams in the New York baseball scene right now. It really is, and, and the Yankees on August 1st obviously traded away Chapman, traded away Beltron, uh, traded away Miller. They, you know, They made moves to build this team going forward, and we agreed at the time, and we said it before over the summer when we were on air in Long Island, that this is what the Yankees needed to do. It was the obvious choice. It was the obvious obvious thing the Yankees had to do. And for everyone that said, well, the Yankees shouldn't shouldn't trade everyone away. They're still in, the, in, in contention. They were wrong. They were wrong, and the Yankees made the right move. It's great seeing Austin, Sanchez, and I, you know, I know Judge hasn't played well. I'm a huge Judge guy. I think he's going to be a really good player in this league. It's great seeing the young kids coming up and contributing, and really the Yankees have played so well since they've made these deals that they have injected themselves into the wild card race, a race they have absolutely no business on heaven or earth being a part of, <laughs> but they've done it. And you give credit to the, to, the, to the front office for making the moves they had to make and giving the young guys opportunities to play. Not to mention they had cut Alex Rodriguez, too. Well, they forced him into they, re- well, retirement. Well, they forced Alex Rodriguez into retirement, but there was so much going on from August 1st to now that has happened, and the, the, the way this Yankees roster has evolved... I mean, it's night and day, and they're getting good pitching. They're getting big hits. I mean, Sanchez just looks like he's going to be the next great catcher in the American League. He's been otherworldly, and no one's ever done what he's doing. So when you say, oh, he's off to the greatest start ever, it's true. Statistically, he is. No one has ever had a better start to their major league career than this guy has. And what's crazy about what's going on with the Yankees is, as they sit here today, 76-66, and they're 10 games over five hundred. And what's crazy about this team is the guys they called up, your Gary Sanchez's, your Aaron Judge's, your Tyler Austin, other than two guys in their bullpen, Ben Heller and uh, one of the other relief pitchers has been back and forth, none of these guys they called up were involved in any of the deadline trades. These were all guys that were in the Yankees system. So the future's bright because the guys they traded for at the deadline, they're not even up yet. They won't be up yet this year. So the Yankees are doing this with their in-house prospects. And they have a lot to go on for the future. You could trade some of these guys and get a big-time right. starting pitcher, or you could get a big-time bat. You have a lot of money coming off the books once Mark Deshera retires and CeCe's deal is up and A-Rod's now off the books. You're paying him, but he's no longer on your team. He's no longer taking up a roster spot. You look at the Yankees' roster from top to bottom, it's now mixed in with an infusion of young talent. Starling Castro has 20 home runs. He's had a really nice year. Didi Gregorius has been great for the Yankees. All of a sudden, up the middle, you're young. And the outfield, potentially, next year. You can have Clint Fraser up here to go along with Aaron Judge. Tyler Austin will be here. Greg Bird will be back at first base a year from now to start spring training and be their opening day first baseman. 
Yankees have a lot to look forward to, and I said this before, I'll say it again. No matter what happens down the stretch with this Yankees team, the fact that they're getting a chance to play meaningful September baseball in the first place is absurd. They've been playing 600 baseball since the August 1st trade deadline. That's never happened before. So no matter what happens, the fact that the Yankees actually have a meaningful season despite waving the white flag when they traded everyone, that in itself is awesome. Oh, it's amazing. And the Yankees really have played excellent. They've played over 600 baseball. Uh, Will they make the playoffs? Uh, I don't think so, only because of this reason. Uh, I think coming down the stretch, they're going to need starting pitching, and I know they've gotten good starting pitching, but I don't know, and I can't definitively say that Luis Sessa... Even Michael Pineda um, is going to be able to keep up the kind of pitching they've gotten over the last couple weeks. That's why I don't think the Yankees are going to be a playoff team. They're going to be in the race to the end. I think that's that's obvious. But the pitching might be their downfall as we move later into the season, uh, as we move later into this month, I should say. But the bottom line is, at 76-66, and 66, the Yankees are right there. And that's remarkable in of itself. The fact that the New York Yankees, a team that at one time... Um, this season was so dead and was so over, uh, now are, are right in the thick of an American League wild card race. And really the divisional race, too. What are they, four out of the division? Four out. I mean, that's unbelievable. <laughs> you know, Obviously, they probably won't win the division, but the fact that we are at this point with the New York Yankees here in 2016, I think it says a lot about the organization. I think it says a lot about the young guys they've brought up. And I think it says more than anything about how good Joe Girardi is as as a manager. And I get on... He is an unreal manager. I get on Binder Joe. That's what I call him. because You love Binder. You love the Binder. Well, sometimes he manages too close to the book, and it frustrates me as a big-time Yankee fan. Excuse me, my voice is correct. Been talking a lot today, a lot of screaming at the New York Jets from earlier. But well, anyway. We've we spoken enough about the Jets. We can't talk anymore about the let's Jets. Let's talk about the Yankees. They've actually been making me happy. <laughs> the thing with Joe Girardi, and you got to give him credit... Because when the Yankees traded all these guys, they traded the Beltron, they traded, of course, Aroldis Chapman and Andrew Miller, and A-Rod left, and Nova's gone, the whole thing. Girardi said, we're still trying to win. And we all laughed, and no one really took him seriously. But to his credit, the players have bought in. They've been playing to win these games. You know, the kids have come up, and they've brought this new energy into the clubhouse. But you know what also they brought? Talent. You know, these kids out in the, in the clubhouse, they could play. We talked about Sanchez, but Tyler Austin and Aaron Judge, you know, to their credit, they've had some pretty big hits as well. And Girardi's done a really nice job keeping this team together, managing the bullpen to give guys an opportunity to stay as fresh as they could possibly be and still give the Yankees a chance to win. And I want to give credit to Brian Cashman as well. We knew it was a great idea and a great decision to trade these guys at the deadline, but he didn't give up on the year in the sense that he still acquired Tyler Clippard, and he got back Adam Warren in that deal for a role as Chapman. And both those guys in the bullpen, they're not as good as Chapman and Andrew Miller, but they've been very good for the Yankees, and that's helped them you know, kind of overcome the loss of Andrew Miller and Chapman. So that was a great idea by Brian Cashman. It's helped save the season. And here are the Yankees. You look where they are. We said it. We'll say it again. Two games out of a wild card spot, only four out of the division on September 11th. Yeah, and it, it is crazy. Remar- it is remarkable that the Yankees are right there. And it really is, uh, again, just a testament to, to how good um, Joe Girardi is, I think, as a manager. The fact that he was able to hold this team together and hold the glue together through everything. The trade deadline, A-Rod. I mean, that's a lot of drama that enters into a locker room. There's a lot of drama that one man has to has to be able to balance, and that's Joe Girardi. And he kept the guys into it, 
and he kept the guys believing, and now they are really on the cusp of being a playoff team. Whether they'll make it or not, they're right there, and I think Joe Girardi excuse me, deserves all the credit in the world. 607-274-1842. Anthony Insiosity wants to talk about the Yankees. Anthony, what's going on? What's up, guys? How are we doing? Anthony, good to hear from you. What's up? So you guys were talking about the Yankees before, obviously, in the whole youth movement where everyone's going right now. You know, as a Yankee fan myself, you know, you definitely got to be happy about the move they made, you know, obviously August 1st. You talked about it, trading everyone. At the time, I think I wasn't too happy with the Andrew Miller trade, but, you know, as you can see, it's definitely worked out for the best at this point. But, you know, you look at the starting rotation right now for the Yankees. Besides Tanaka, you really don't have anyone else that consistently can give you enough innings. So that would be my biggest concern for the Yankees, and I just don't think they're going to make the playoffs this year. But as a Yankee fan, you got to be happy about what oh, they course. have done. Anthony, absolutely, and and you hit the nail right on the head. The starting pitching is where the issue was, and that really was the issue going into the season, too. You know, I just wasn't sold on the Yankees starting pitching coming into the season. They've had, you know, their issues, obviously, throughout the season. But, you know, right now, looking forward, I just don't think their starting pitching is good enough to to, to put them in the playoffs. And and, and as we move, you know, now into mid-September and then to the end of September, when the race really starts to, well, it's heated up, but when it really starts to, 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 to excessively heat up when we get into late September. I don't know if they're going to have the pitching to do that, but I don't think that matters. And I don't think it matters if the Yankees are a playoff team this year. Because the bottom line is, even if they're not a playoff team, they're going to win 85-plus games. They're 76 and 66. I mean, barring they fall apart, you know, th- this team that looked like they were going to finish at one time with 78 or 79 wins, you know, now is going to be an above 500 team with a lot of optimism going into 2017. Well, what's great about this season, it's the definition of house money. When they waved the white flag, or supposedly were waving the white flag when they traded everyone, we all thought, all right, well, they might finish under 500. These kids are going to get a chance to come up and play. But we didn't think that when some of these guys they were going to call up and play, they'd be this good and help this team win. And when Adam Warren would pitch like he did last year with the Yankees, and Tyler Clippard, who was having a rough season when the Yankees got him, would be really good when the Yankees brought him back to this team. And here they are. No matter what happens, and I don't think they're going to make the playoffs either, but the fact that we even have meaningful September baseball to watch and to follow along and to scoreboard watch and do everything you do late in a pennant race, that in itself is crazy. But what's really good about this entire situation is the fact that Aaron Judge, Gary Sanchez, and Tyler Austin they get a chance to experience what pennant race baseball is about. This is this will be really good for them for the long term, being able to say that they were able to help the Yankees win meaningful games in the middle of a playoff chase. That's big for their long term development. Absolutely, and, and again, you gotta even if the Yankees aren't a playoff team this year. And thanks for the call, Anthony. You gotta love the fact that we're in a pennant race, that the Yankees are in a pennant race, that they have a shot here to be a playoff team. And that's all you need is a shot, and the Yankees have that. And to a lot of people's credit, they're right there in the American League wildcard race and the divisional race. You know, Four games out is not a lot of games. I know we're approaching the end of the season, but you know, the Phillies were you know trailed the Mets by seven games with 17 games to, to go back in 2007. Anything is possible. Oh, did that happen? It did happen. Oh. And anything is possible. And, and, and then the next year, with 17 games to go, the Mets had a four-game lead. So anything is possible. The Yankees could win the division. It's not outlandish that they that they would. I will say this. You look at the Yankees' upcoming schedule. They play outside, every team ahead of them. Outside of the Dodgers coming into town for three games, the rest of the way they play only American League East opponents. You're right. The Yankees have a real shot here. If they can take care of their business. It I would be crazy, but it it's be, possible. It would be crazy, but it is not impossible. It is possible. It's going to be very difficult, especially with the guys they're throwing out there every fifth day. It's going to be very difficult. 
We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with more of your calls. Talk we'll about talk the about, Mets. Talk about the New York Mets. Half game up in the wild card. We'll be right back. This is the Asman and Butik Show right here on VIC Radio. You are listening to the Asman and Butik Podcast on ICTV.org and on iTunes. Oh, yeah. VIC Radio. It's the Asman and Butik Show. Taking you until midnight. Got about 40 minutes left in the program. I'm Jake Asman. He's Dan Butik. We just talked about the Yankees. If you want to chime in on that, the phone number, as always, is 607-274-1842. Ben Beatty doing a great job on the controls tonight. We got our entire staff in. Connor Weingarten's here. We got Ben Jacob screening the phone calls. We have Brett here. He's doing his thing. The whole gang is in town. We got Jason as well joining us. Welcome to the show, guys. We appreciate all your hard work. Well, let's get into the Mets now, Dan. Your team, red hot. Red First hot, off, really did you see hot. this run coming after where this team no was? They were at one point way. under five hundred, and Jake, the Yankees had a better record. I than have them. to tell you something. I moved in back to school on August nineteenth. The Mets were sixty and sixty-two. Five and a half games out of the wild card. I was so depressed. I was so disappointed in this season. I was really, really upset. And they've gone 16 and 4 since. They're 76 and 67. They're a game and a half out of the top wild card spot. They're now a half game up on the second wild card spot with their win today over the Braves 10 to 3. And their schedule's so easy. And the loss to the Cardinals. And you mentioned it. They play the Nationals for three here, and they don't play a team again above 500 the rest of the season. They play Philadelphia, Miami, Minnesota. Uh, it, it's just, it, it, it's unbelievable the fact that we're in this situation. And once again, like last season, the legend, the man, the myth, Yoannis Cespedes hits a grand slam today, his 30th home run of the season. He had five RBIs in his first two at-bats. I mean, he is an amazing, amazing player. And Will is gonna is writing his name into Mets history as one of the clutchest players the Mets have ever been able to put uh, on their roster. I mean, he's really been a lifesaver for them. And, you know, 30 home runs, and it just seems like every time he's up, he's going to produce. And it's really, he's had that impact the last year. It's been unbelievable. But I, to answer your question, did I think this run was coming? No way in a million years would I have thought. I thought they would have been seven or eight games under 500 at this point, it was looking like. But they've gotten contributions like the Yankees have, very similar to what's going on in the Bronx. They've gotten contributions out of guys we never heard of. Robert Gazelman. Seth Lugo today, seven innings, two runs. He's 4-2 and two with a 2-4. I mean, DeGrom and Mats haven't pitched in two weeks, and the Mets keep winning. It's unbelievable. It's amazing. And here's the thing, too, when you look at the Mets. And you mentioned Cespedes. He's incredible. And his numbers don't do it justice how good he is because he missed some time due to an injury, and he was playing hurt before that. When he's in the lineup... Everyone, their whole everyone hits better. Yep. The pitchers pitch better knowing, hey, we got Cespedes in the lineup. We don't need the pitcher shutout to give ourselves a chance to win. He makes everyone in that lineup better. And it's really amazing when you watch this guy on a night-in, night-out basis like Mets fans do and like a, a lot of baseball fans do oh, when yeah. they watch the Mets. He's amazing. He's unbelievable. Five RBIs today. He gives his team a chance against anyone because he makes everyone around them better. And the Mets today, they're 76 and 67. Now, at one point, you mentioned it, they were 60 and 62. And now they're just on an absolute tear right now. Cespedes gives him a chance to go on a playoff run. And this is really the second consecutive year he's been doing this now. My question to you is it's, it's gotten to a point where if he opts out, I don't care what it costs. 
You have to pay this man. I agree. He means too much to this team. He's too comfortable here. He's I never agree. been this good with any other team before. You, whatever it takes, if he opts in, he, great. If he opts out, it's come to a point where you gotta you gotta do whatever it takes to bring this I, guy I, back. He's I, too good to lose. You know what, Jake? You know me. I'm very usually. I'm, I'm pretty. Um, you know, I, I was ready to let Cespedes walk la- at the end of last season. I did not think he would be back with the Mets going into this season, but obviously the circumstances just played I- I- its way out, and the situation played itself out, and the Mets had the opportunity to bring him back on the contract they did. But you said it. If he had, does op out, opt out, the Mets have to find a way to bring him back. And he might opt in. I don't know. He, you know, two years at $27 million, that's a lot of money. At the, at, he'd become the highest paid outfielder in baseball. He was, he is this year, and he would be for the at least the next two years guaranteed. But if he's looking for a five year contract and he opts out, there might be a team that'd be willing to give it to him. I'm matching it. I'm match. I need him back as an Met uniform next year. The guy's too good. And you're right. He hasn't been this good anywhere else. And I'll tell you what. When the Mets got him, the rap on Cespedes was. He'll hit for a decent batting average. He'll hit 280, 285. He'll hit 30 bombs. He'll drive in 100 runs. But his on-base won't be that high. He's not going to get a 340, 350 on-base. Well, tell you what. In his year as a Met, year and three months as a Met, he's on-base is 355. The guy's been getting on-base any way possible. He's been unbelievable. And I agree with you. You've got to bring Cespedes back. And again, you know... It doesn't. They're not going to go on a type of a run to the World Series they went on last year, and I'm pretty confident about that just because of the fact they've lost so many guys to injury. I just can't see it happen. I just can't see it happen. But with that said, the feel around the team and the feel when they play on a day-in and day-out basis is that they're ready to beat whoever they have to beat, and Cespedes in the lineup changes the complexion of that lineup. Jake, you made a great point. When he is in there, and this is the point, you know, uh, really, that this has been the facts since he's been a Met, he makes everyone else around him better. And that's why the Mets, you know, in July, couldn't afford to put him on the disabled list on July 4th weekend when he got hurt against the Nationals. They couldn't afford to put him on the disabled list because they're too good with him in there. And eventually it cost him because they eventually had to put him on the disabled list, but... He, they need him in there every game. He, he like, you know, Terry, I know he gets cute. Well, let's give Cespedes a day off here. I, you can't give him a day off. I know, you know, he's got a bad quad, and, you know, he, you know, he likes to be nonchalant. And, you know, there was a play the other day. I was pissed off he didn't hustle down the line. But if the guy's going to hit a grand slam when the Mets need one the most and the guy's going to hit a home run in the seventh inning, quite frankly, I'll take the fact that he doesn't hustle every ball out. He's remarkable. He is. He is out of this world. But the question becomes for the Mets, and if they're able to make the postseason, I think they will. I look at the remaining schedule. they got games left against the Braves. they got the Twins in there. I mean, it's it's the easiest schedule in baseball. It really is. They they have lucked out big time with the way it it breaks for them. And and you still have to play the teams in front of you and the Mets. They're still going to have a tough time down the stretch. The other teams are going to put pressure on them to win these games. But the Mets have a joke of a schedule down the stretch. Look it up. It's that easy I'm for this team. I'm pulling it up right now. And it is, it is very easy. They go to Washington for three. This is going to be a tough that's series. That's their last tough series, though. Then they play Minnesota for two, three. They play the Braves for three. They play the Phillies for four. They play the Marlins for three. They play the Phillies for three. My God. And that's how they end their season. That, it really is. They have a very – they have been – uh, fortunate enough to have a very easy schedule here. They play Washington now for three. Who starts the wild card game? That's the real question. Is it Syndergaard or Degrom? If I know we're we're getting a little bit, bit too ahead far ahead. Uh, who's starting that wild card game? I'd start Syndergaard I'd, as well. I'd start Syndergaard at this point. And Degrom's had a nice season, but. Really, his last three or four starts, he hasn't been as efficient. He's also hurt right now, he's right? A, What's least, his status? He's pitching with fatigue, and and this is the thing. 
you know, there's been – the story would be, if the Mets weren't playing so well, would be, where's Mats? Where's DeGrom? When are they coming back? But now that takes a back seat because the Mets are just winning every game they're playing you right now. You wouldn't start Seth Lugo in the wild card match? I would no way. <laughs> but I'll tell you what. You know, and this is, this is, the, this is my problem with the Mets – uh, if they do make the playoffs and say they were to get out of a wild card game, you have Syndergaard, Mats, and uh, Degrom. But then who who are you starting game for? You starting Cologne? I'm not sold starting Cologne in the playoff game. He's been great for the Mets. He's been a godsend. But then again, he he does have tendencies to start uh, games and give up four runs in the first inning. You know, I'm a big Cologne guy, but I don't know if I trust him enough to go out there in a playoff game. And what was is such a strength for the Mets starting pitching going into the season has really been an issue because of the health of these guys. They lose Harvey. DeGrom's dealing with some fatigue. Matt's, I mean, the guy, I love Steven Matt's. I think he's a really good, talented, left-handed pitcher, but he cannot stay healthy. And until he stays healthy for a significant amount of time, he's very injury-prone. He always has these problems. He's got the bone spur, this, that. I mean, it's, it's hard to keep track of all his arm injuries. But the bottom line is the Mets have been getting contributions from Seth Lugo, Robert Gazelman, even Rafael Montero has come out of the blue, come out of the darkness, uh, really. I mean, it seemed like he got written off when he was awful last season, and he's pitched decently in his couple of starts. So I, I don't know what. You can't put your finger on it. But the bottom line is just like the Yankees have in really similar fashion, getting contributions from the most unlikely source – the Mets have put themselves really in the thick and in the driver's seat here of a playoff race. Thanks for listening to the Asman and Budick Show. To keep up with the guys, like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter with the handle at Asman Budick Show.